0: All right, today's guest, uh, we're mixing it up a little bit, getting outside of the realm of a high school bench. Uh, We're bringing in Jared Bergeron today, who's a skills trainer with Catalyst Training. Uh, We have some unprecedented times with the coronavirus, COVID-19, and so I want to bring uh, Jared on to talk about what he does, but also some ideas for high school coaches as they move through the uh, summer window with maybe not being able to work with their athletes. So Jared, thanks for joining us today.
1: Yeah, perfect, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh first question I always ask is what's your Wikipedia page because most high school coaches don't have a Wikipedia page. You do, but unfortunately it's Mike Bruzewitz on the uh, <laughs> on the display picture. So, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with you, uh, what's your what's your background and what's how did you get into skills training? That's funny,
1: man. I actually, my, my teammates and stuff make fun of me all the time for that. They're like, Oh, sweet Wikipedia, man. got, got bruiser on there, (laughs) which is pretty funny. Um, No. So my, my background, just to give you kind of a quick overview is I grew up in Princeton where you obviously coach now. You weren't my coach. You came in after I graduated, but um, so grew up in Princeton, just a regular kind of small town kid. When I was coming up, um really once I got to like my sophomore year of high school, I guess, people started noticing me saying, Okay, this big guy in Princeton, he might he might become something. And we had a senior on the team who was Scott Rail at the time, ended up playing at Southwest State, Minnesota. Um, really could really good division two kid. Um, so he was getting recruited then as a senior and these these D two schools started seeing me, like, okay, where's this kid? Where's he getting recruited by? Where where's he playing AAU? And I was I don't know, I'm not doing anything. I just play in Princeton, you know, and they're like, Okay. You get plugged in with Howard Pulley, who was, you know, really the best AAU program in the state at the time. Um, ended up going down there. Ended up making the the top 17 team as a 16 year old right off the bat, which was pretty cool. So I went from playing in you know small town Princeton to all of a sudden playing in AAU tournaments around the country against you know Blake Griffin and some of these top NBA players. You know, um, a couple months after that, so it was it was really a interesting experience for me. Ended up going. From there, getting recruited, playing at the University of Wisconsin, um, had my five years there with a redshirt year. And then uh, once I finished there, I had a chance to, I was on the radar to get drafted. Um, I had a couple NBA teams that were interested in potentially selecting me with a late second round pick. Obviously did not end up getting drafted, but um, had several teams interested in taking me for the NBA Summer League. Went and played played summer league with a handful of different teams over the years. I played with Orlando and Cleveland my first summer. Um, and then other, other summers I played with Detroit and Milwaukee. Um, but anyways, when that didn't work out, um, in the summer league, I had a chance to go to training camp with some teams, but it would have been, you know, kind of 99% chance. I end up in the D league as it was called at the time, which in 2013, when I was coming out, um, the D league was much different than what the G league has grown into today. Um, just wasn't a lot of money in it. There's still, you know, you still probably make more money most places overseas than you do in the G league now, but it's definitely much more competitive than what it was then from a financial standpoint. Um, so I took a deal to go overseas, played in Belgium for two years. Um, then I went in Italy for two years, played there. I did one year in Japan. And then last season, um, home for about a year now last season i was in switzerland and then uh kind of long story short um i have a a daughter who's about two and a half now and a little boy on the way hopefully sometime soon actually um so just you know with a young growing family like that moving all over the world playing overseas isn't really the easiest thing so kind of made the switch from from being a player to plugging in and and being a trainer uh working with reed Osi which uh, I'm sure some of your listeners will be familiar with him. He's really uh, developed himself as the the top trainer um, in the state. And even around the Midwest, he's doing stuff all over the place and really growing our brand with Catalyst Training. So Reed was my guy, you know, working me out in the summers um, when I was home from overseas and really developed a, a great friendship with him. And so when I had the chance to – he wanted to bring me in to, you know, kind of help him out on the training side, it was – a good transition for me to stay around the game and um, on the training side and you know not have to keep moving all over the world like I said so that's kind of where I'm at
0: now. When you first work with a player uh, and you're evaluating them uh, what are you looking for to judge where to start uh, with their skill development?
1: Um, so I would say I like to look at a couple different things one would just be their their general comfortability with a ball so I want to get everyone needs to be able to handle the ball. You know, this isn't the, you know, the eighties basketball, when you have your big guys that just sit on the block and shoot hook shots and rebound, you know, basketball today is becoming more and more positionless. So we want everyone to be able to, to handle the ball, at least in, in some capacity, um, check their feet. You know, how do they, can they stop off either foot? Can they jump off either foot? Can they, you know, maintain balance in different situations? Are they, You know, how are they controlling the the ball and controlling their body? Those are just kind of universal things that we want to look at and and try to improve regardless of position.
0: How do your workouts differ between uh, an eighth grade youth team and a high school varsity program?
1: Um, Not that much, to be honest. So it'll, it'll obviously be, be ramped up and more, you know, we'll combine more things, you know, the intensity, the speed, the details a little more with, with older players and give them more variations to challenge them. But it all kind of starts the same where we're going to go the first couple workouts, we're going to do some really simple stuff. We're going to get into a lot of times what we call our, our drop stance, which is essentially just getting our feet split to an explosive position, how you can shift your weight side to side there how you can explode out of that position and how you can stop. So a lot of times I'll challenge guys to do very basic, what we call a speed stop, which is just a one, two stop versus a jump stop. Not that a jump stop is wrong by any means, but I like to see, can you control your feet and do you know what your feet are doing? Okay. So that's kind of step one. A lot of times we'll say, okay, let's explode out of it. Boom. Then can you stop on a dime right here? And it's maybe they can do it going to their right, stopping left, right when we go to the left, and I want you to stop right, left, they start going right, left, right, because they're not used to being able to stop off either foot. So like, okay, do you feel what you're doing? And some may or some may not. So that's kind of step one is like, do you even know what your feet are doing? And if you don't, let's get those dialed in and get those under control. Because then, right, if you don't feel your feet and know what your feet are doing, you're going to struggle to build into some of this more advanced footwork and, you know, finishing techniques and all this stuff. So it starts there. Obviously, you'd like to think older players are going to pick that up a little quicker and, and you know be able to advance more. But we really are going to start the same way, and then it's just kind of how players pick it up, how far we can advance, and how quick we can advance it.
0: So you talked about speed stop. I know some people call that we'll call that a stride stop. How do you? What do you? What is your preference between a, a speed stop versus a jump stop?
1: Uh, honestly, I prefer a speed stop. I mean, it's quicker, and you're you're uh, condensing your space more. So the idea of coming to a speed stop, well, it's also situational, okay? So I should say that first because it's situational. Like if, you're, if you want to stop as quick as possible to get separation for a jump shot, like if we're playing one-on-one and I'm attacking and I hit the brakes, you know, the idea of a speed stop is for me to be able to hit the brakes quicker than the defender can. So if I hit the bra- – I start to hit the brakes, but then I let myself hop forward like a jump stop, right? I'm losing that space and that, you know, the quick split second that it takes for me to travel forward like that. Okay. So that's, that's my preference as a speed sub for that. Number one, number two is it's clear what your pivot foot's going to be. So a lot of times, I mean, just to be honest, not attacking anyone since I think it's a super hard job, but high school refs and below are not great. Right. I mean, I think all your listeners are probably going to agree with that. Um, there's some that are obviously very good and some that you know, teams are struggling or or leagues are struggling to find refs now because it's a very hard job and it's a, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, you take a lot of heat, you don't get a lot of praise, you know. So refs are not great. So sometimes you come to a jump stop, you look a little bit off balance, the player might not necessarily know what they can do there. And all of a sudden they, they step one foot forward and they're like, oh, travel. Why is that a travel? If I landed on two feet, I should be able to pivot off either foot, right? That's the whole idea of a jump stop why you would want to jump stop, but you see that called all the time. A guy comes to a jump stop. They don't know what their pivot foot is. Ref doesn't know what their pivot foot is. Now they're off balance and they lean forward and kind of tap their foot forward. Oh, travel. Okay. So if you come to a speed stop, now it's clear. I come to a one, two stop. And now I have my pivot foot. I can move, you know? So those are a couple, a couple of advantages why I prefer that. But obviously there's times a the jump stop is going to be you know, necessary or correct for that, you know, for that uh, situation.
0: We always tell our guys, there's a reason I'm not coaching in the NBA. There's a reason they're not reffing in the NBA. They're going to make mistakes. They're gonna, There's going to be human error yeah. involved as well. Uh, and that's a good point. You know, we see that a lot too when guy if it's our guys or, um, you know, other teams that we're scouting or we're playing against, they take that jump stop and they just look unba- unbalanced and the mm-hmm. ref dings them for a traveling when really it looked awkward. And sometimes they felt, you know, coaches even on their, Oh, yelling for travel when really it's yeah, just like it's, sure. they're falling victim to the body language, right? They look like they don't know what they're doing, yeah, so they could call it right. travel instead of actually looking at the footwork. Yeah, uh, so we're talking about, into- yeah,
1: like with the, one, one more quick thing on that. So yeah, for with it. the speed for suck, sure. you have, you have two breaks essentially, right? If you stop one, two, there's two feet hitting separately and you hit the brake there, you hit the brake there, right? If you come to a jump stop, both feet are in the air, you land together. And then like you said, you're, you're hitting at one time. You have one break. And then if you start kind of shuffling that foot forward, a lot of times it's called the travel, whether it you know actually is or is not. But yeah. So again, let's let's move on. But last. Yeah, I
0: know that's good stuff. I think that's really relevant, and that's what I want to make this about is uh, how this coaches can hear this, and that's relevant stuff. Teaching Mm one-two versus jump stop. So when you're working out with your guys, do you have a preference, or what is like the decision to go one-on-zero versus like one-on-one or two-on-two, a small side of the game versus uh, a on-air drill.
1: Um, a big factor in that is, is obviously the time of year. So during, during the season, I really, for the last couple months months, I mean, obviously once the season ended here, haven't really been in the gym with my guys here with, with what's going on. Um, so during the season, I'd have guys that would come in for, you know, extra work on their days off on you know Saturday or Sunday or whatever. And during that time, we really wouldn't do anything live just because the risk is not worth the reward, you know? So it's, it's, uh, <clears throat> yeah so i'm not trying to get guys hurt in the middle of the season even in the in the fall you know in the preseason i'd be cautious with it like obviously you guys have to be playing to to prep you for the season but we try to limit it um and then even during the summer too i'm i'm trying to get feedback from my guys and say okay did you just play a u tournament this weekend and play five games in two days and then you come in on on monday and you're like hey let's play some more so i'm like okay you know maybe we'll We'll take it a little bit easy, try to get feedback from them, how's your body feeling, especially with the older guys. You know, younger players, you know, they're middle school age, they just play, 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 and they're, all, right. they're not getting sore and achy, achy knees or anything like that. So I try to, I try to get feedback from my guys because obviously I, you know, played at a high level for, for six years overseas and my five years of college. was 11 years of, you know, of high-level basketball that I kind of know how, how that grind and wear and tear goes on your body. Um, but I, I would say in general, we we get a split where we would start the workouts, um, kind of working skill stuff, and we kind of go through some different series of of different footwork options and finishing options, and then the lat depending on the length of the workout, you know, the last 15 minutes maybe we get into some live stuff, or or sometimes I'm even just giving like kind of dummy looks where I'm either hitting them with a pad or you know just using my my big frame to to challenge shots and finishing at at the rim and stuff like that, so we try to find a balance for sure.
0: June and July rolls around. Minnesota Department of Health says, uh, you know, no groups bigger than six or 10 or whatever the case may be. So you're a high school coach. Uh, you have a summer program. You're looking forward to getting your guys in the gym. Now, now that's shut down. What are some ideas for you or maybe a basic template that you would encourage a high school coach to use uh, in June and July when they can work with their guys again, uh, but from a distance?
1: So it's tough. Yeah, it depends. It depends what ends up happening here, obviously. Um, One thing I'm doing now, I mean, just to kind of plug myself here is I'm doing, you know, live online sessions with my guys. So I'm working with a handful of your guys, some guys from other schools in the area, Um, you know, so I'm doing live, you know, one-on-one sessions or or group sessions with guys where we're going, you know, you don't necessarily even need a, a hoop. If, you know if you have a hoop at home obviously that's that's great not everyone does so we do you know 30 minute sessions we're working on you know ball handling and and footwork I work right out of my garage here and just kind of taking guys through showing them you know different techniques where your feet should be going on this how you're shifting your weight and your balance what you're doing with your off arm to to protect or dip in your shoulder trying to simulate like if you're attacking in a game right you obviously don't want to be straight up and down just little details like that so that's one thing um if you end up getting into yeah to group stuff like like in the summer for you if like cuz you've done a great job running your full team stuff in the summertime right in those June July period that you're allowed contact with them um if you if you are in a situation now where you can't you can't do that right you can only have maybe a couple guys in the gym you don't want to run it that way you want to get your full team in there it's going to be challenging so i would say you have to take advantage of of online resources Right there's a ton of stuff you can find on, on social media. Um, my guy Reed Ose—that's um, O U S E—doesn't really sound the way you'd pronounce it, right? So <laughs> the spelling, but uh, so yeah, Reed does a ton of stuff. You know, posts and drills, ball handling moves. We're actually working on an app that we have coming out, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Here, um, we'll get some more details on that on our website on, on basketballcatalyst.com. Um, but we're trying to, you know, navigate this kind of uncharted territory here, too, where it's, you know, we're trying to provide resources for kids to be able to work from home and give them some guidance. Um, but there's a there's a ton of stuff online. You can go on YouTube, find drills, you know, or, or try to take advantage of, of using Zoom, doing live stuff that way, too. But it's uh, it's definitely uncharted territory here. And, you know, but the most important thing, I think, is to try to get guys doing something. So all the guys I'm working with online now is, you know, I'm pushing that message to them. This is going to be the longest off season you're ever going to have. And you're going to find out who's working and who's not, you know, maybe more so than ever, you're going to be able to separate yourself from the pack because not everyone is going to be putting in work right now. A quick example of that. I took a guy through a, a online workout is a one-on-one session with him. And at the end of the workout we did, you know, I try to give him some quick, Kind of conditioning stuff we're going you know quick slides or quick jumps for a minute straight just trying to simulate some of the stuff some of the movement they're not getting right now and by the end of it he was like this is the hardest thing I've done in three weeks I'm like dude this wasn't I had more in store for you here today but you know we cut it short because I could see you're dying you know so and this he wasn't you know he's admittedly not a great player he's young he's ninth grade big guy you know growing into his body but you're going to be able to tell who's working, who's not. And if you just sit around, you know, the whole time, and say, oh, I can't do anything anyways, and, and kind of use those excuses, when we get back in the gym, you're going to struggle and you're going to see the guys who were, who were actually working.
0: I'm not a I'm not a workout extraordinaire myself by any means you can you can look at me and see how see my body type but I, I try to get do a little cardio my wife just got us doing the beach body on demand free two week trial man you can tell I haven't done anything I haven't even walked in the hallways of school in weeks you can you can feel it man it's crazy when yeah, you, it goes that quick. condition goes away when you're not doing anything for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, so let's say in normal times, right, I'm a first year head coach, I come in, uh, I want to run a summer program, what what would you encourage a new high school coach to have, or what would a 90 minute summer workout look like for you if you were advising a high school, a new, a new first year head coach at a high school program?
1: So kind of just to yeah take you through kind of how I would structure my, my workouts when I did some of the, you know, my full team programs that I ran in the fall, like preseason stuff, or the stuff I've run in the summer with full teams. Um, We start pretty much every day with some ball handling. We'll usually start with just like stationary stuff where we're just going, you know, feet are planted in the floor. We're just working on our hands, being able to manipulate that ball into different positions, give them different challenges to handle that ball. And then we'll start working on our feet a little bit before we even go to the basket. We'll usually, how I like to do things is we'll kind of go through like one series for the day. So we'll work on one specific Move. I don't really love to call them moves because it's it's more than that. It's right, it's skills and techniques. And um, but we'll we'll focus on one or two kind of kind of skills that we'd like to really drill that day. So we'll start usually kind of tying in that full work with some some ball handling on the move. Where uh, let's give you an example. What we'll, we'll be calling an inverted drag. So your boy Tate Labs would do this a lot. Where it's it's basically a between the legs, but you're stopping on your inside foot. So let's say if I'm driving to my right. I would plant my left foot out in front and I pull the ball between my legs as I'm kind of shifting my weight back and pulling my body back away. Tate would do this all the time, naturally. Okay. So if we're working on that, what we call inverted drag, maybe we do that on the move a couple, a couple times, you know, sideline to sideline, getting guys moving, seeing how they plant, right? Plant that foot coming to a quick, hard stop, shift their weight back, pull the ball away. Right. What are we doing with our off arm? What are we doing with our, our weight shift with our feet? right? And we'll kind of drill those things and then we'll go to the hoop and we'll start working on some different finishes. We'll always start pretty much around the basket, working on some stuff, some some touch drills around the rim, work our way out into some, some floaters, some kind of mid-range options. Um, and then we'll start tying in those, those attacks off the bounce, right? We're going off a live dribble, off of a catch, tying in those kind of series, giving you different options where if we get to this point, all right, we stop here. Defender goes flying by. We have space for a jump shot. They recover on this. Okay, I pull the ball back. Now they, they close out to me again. Boom, now, now I can attack back to the middle or back to the baseline, right? I'll give them kind of the reads and what they're looking for off those things. We'll go off the bounce, um, attacking the rim for a while, and then we'll start getting into um, maybe some different, depending on the time of year, again, like I talked about earlier, um, either some competitive stuff. Or some, maybe some two-on-oh, three-on-oh stuff where we're going, you know, drive and kick option, try to simulate those kind of game actions a little bit, get guys moving where they're passing and catching as well as attacking and shooting, um, and then maybe finish with, yeah, with some competitive stuff, maybe short sided games, things like that, or, you know, just kind of shooting competitions. Those are kind of my – that's kind of my broad overview of, of kind of how I'd structure a workout in general.
0: What are strengths and weaknesses of today's players?
1: Um, so first I'll say players today are definitely, definitely more skilled than they were when I was coming through. So I think about myself as a, as a high school player. And I think about like what I did and honestly, I I laugh. And I think like, I, I was not a good player. Like, I mean, I was, cause I mean, obviously you yeah. know, I was recruited to a big time school, you know, and all this stuff I put up, like, good stats in high school, you know, but I was, I was six ten, moderately athletic at best and very limited in my skills. I was just tall and had, you know, somewhat decent touch but I was like, my feet were terrible. My body was terrible just in terms of, you know, I don't think I ever had myself in real good shape. I didn't know. I thought I was working hard. You know, I'd be, oh, I'm going to go in and lift weights after school every day, come in before school and shoot and all this stuff. thought I was working hard, but I didn't really know what I was doing right I was just kind of aimlessly going through it I think there's much more resources and um, just opportunities for kids today that that they're just at a higher level physically um, from a skill level you look at you know your guy this year like Cody Miller 6'7 but he handles the ball he shoots the ball right I wasn't doing that like I have clips of him where he's you know getting a rebound in your, your Monticello game that I was at this year at Monticello he gets a rebound he goes full court comes down to kind of euro steps and finishes on a guy. I'm like at six seven, like, you know, I was a uh, six ten, a little a little bigger than him, a little different than him, but the skill level just was not was not there, you know, of what it is today. So with that being said, I think yeah, skill level is higher. Um some of the weaknesses I would say one that I see, I mean I think I, I see the game different just with my my experiences. I think players don't necessarily read the game well. Like I said, I I probably see things a little different, you know, playing six years professionally and having a ton of, you know, film work and things like that. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily worse than what it was at our time. I'm sure it's probably better. Just my perspective is much different than what it was, you know, at that time. Um, A couple other things I would say is uh, one that I see all the time is, is just knowing when to try to get all the way to the rim and when to, to kind of pull up, maybe shoot a a six to eight foot kind of floater or just come to a stop and kick, right? You still see a ton of guys, you know, just barreling in and and running over guys and getting offensive fouls. And that's just a, that's a huge pet peeve of mine. I think probably just the way I kind of developed as a basketball player, like at the University of Wisconsin, like we took a ton of charges and that was an emphasis of ours. And we also took care of the ball. So we never wanted to be the team you know, running into guys and getting offensive fouls and things like that. So that's something that really was just drilled into me that now when I see players doing that, you know, attacking out of control and running guys over for offensive fouls, it, it kind of drives me nuts. So that's something that, that stands out to me is guys just being able to, to find that limit of, of being aggressive but not being over-aggressive, running into guys, knowing when to shoot that little floater or kick the ball and, right, keep it moving.
0: That comes back to the footwork talk from earlier is that when if guys are, you know, they're, if they're not comfortable with a one-two stop or a jump stop, then they're going to barrel into someone yeah. in that outside of that charge circle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So
0: you, you watch a lot of high school games. Let's get into like a more of an X's and O's philosophy. I mean, so you, you've seen the game that you mentioned, 11 years playing high-level basketball. Um, from an X's and O's perspective, and you, I don't know, you probably watch way more high school games in person than I do just because you're out watching your guys you work out with and um, mm-hmm. and, and making connections with programs. What are some things that you noticed on the offense and the defensive end that was working really well in today's game from a team perspective?
1: So that's interesting. I said, yeah, when you, uh, you laid out some questions that you wanted me to, to talk on today, and when I saw that one, it's a really interesting question because I think there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can be good, right? Like you can, be, you can be a team that, you know, relies on your talent. Obviously, if you have talent, you're just, boom, we're just going to, you know, space the floor and let guys go to work. Right that you can do that, and there's teams that are that are excellent doing that. There's teams that you know don't have or maybe you have a big guy you just throw the ball inside and let them work right and space the floor with maybe you have a couple shooters right or maybe you have you don't have anything where you have to rely on making good hard cuts, setting screens, moving off the ball, doing all that stuff so there there's a lot of different ways you can be you can be good, but I think you have to and maybe this isn't a great answer, but you have to you have to find what your identity of your team is. So like for you guys this year and, and la- last year I didn't watch you guys as much. Obviously I was still overseas. Um, but this year, you know, you guys had a bunch of athletic guys. You play fast and your big guys were skilled, right? Like, like Cody Miller and, and Jake could, could stretch the floor and shoot the ball and they'd get out and run. And you'd have, you know, Hayden stay, who's a, a super strong athletic guy where he's out, he's running the floor hard And you guys did a great job of getting rebounds and looking ahead and you're just pitching the ball ahead and running out and getting easy ones, right? That puts pressure on the, on the defense. So you guys found your, your kind of identity and played to those strengths where you're using the, you know, the speed and athleticism you have using that aggressiveness, right? And then you have other teams where they try to slow it down and grind it out a little bit where there you have to be, you have to be really disciplined, right? So you have to, you have to set good screens to make good passes make hard cuts, right, and present or, uh, or take what presents itself, right, with, with open opportunities and be smart. So there's a lot of different ways to, to be good, but I think it's, uh, it's just kind of finding what fits your, your, uh, your personnel, right, and your style and your preference.
0: I'll give you a little time here, the last last eight to 10 minutes or so here to, to plug your what you're doing and plug Catalyst. So talk about your job with Catalyst training uh, and under normal circumstances, what, what kind of services would you offer to high school programs?
1: So we do, I mean, we do anything from, from youth stuff all the way through, you know, high school teams we work with, with college teams and pro guys as well. So we do a little bit of everything. Um some stuff I've done in the past is I've I've run you know full full youth programs and Reed has done the same thing, a couple youth programs that he'll run. You know, he'll take all the teams, um, either have them all together or he's done some stuff too, where he's done like uh have a couple teams, have one or two teams coming together. We'll we'll focus on skill stuff and then kind of build into some of those competitive aspects like we talked about before, playing some short-sided games, things like that. Um in the fall. You know, I had a handful of teams that i do, you know, their, their uh, preseason programs for them. So where a lot of teams do, you know, maybe they just have captain's practices or open gyms through the fall trying to get ready. Our role would be to kind of step in in those, those periods when coaches have to be hands off with their programs. Instead of you guys just coming in and, you know, just kind of their skelter pick up games that may or may not be organized depending on what kind of leaders you have on your team right, that we come in and say, okay, let's give you guys some some legit skill work, some structure, you know, make it educational, make it challenging, uh, keep guys accountable, who's there, who's working, right, and then uh, give them some structure to their programs that way as well as obviously letting them play a little bit because they need that, you know, getting into the preseason so they're ready to go. And then in the in the summer, I do a lot of, obviously, in the past, we would do more camps. This summer, we'll see what happens with you know this coronavirus stuff, and we're allowed to do kind of big group stuff like that. Right now, it's obviously not looking great. Um, so maybe at some point this summer, that you know, if they if they open it up to allowing small group stuff, that's what that's what probably kept me busiest last summer would be kind of the small group stuff, which we consider any like two to six kids, um, where I try to do my best and and group them together. Once I get to know kids, you know, try to group them together. We have a good group of of, of point guards here, wings here. Right where if I have a couple big guys, I can put them together. We can focus more on that stuff. I wouldn't say that's necessary um, entirely to to make it positional. Like I said, there's the game is becoming more and more positionless, where you want guys to be able to to finish around the rim in a variety of ways, regardless of their position. Want them to be able to handle the ball and control their feet, regardless of their position. A lot of that stuff becomes universal, anyways. We talk about you know coming to a to a speed stop or a jump stop right, coming to these different, um, you know, full work options. You could use it on the perimeter. You can use it in the post a lot of times very, very similarly. Um, so, yeah, I would do a, a lot of kind of that small group stuff. We do one-hour sessions. We, you, you know, kind of what I said before, we start with kind of the ball handling, working on our feet, start, start around the rim, work on finishes, and then build our way out into different, you know, trying to expand your game, again, depending on time of the year. Um, you know, whether it's more focused on getting your game reps right now, like when we were in season, you know, I, I'm not going to have guys, you know, we're, we're not going to spend 10 minutes working on our left-handed floaters because you get in the game and you shoot that shot, coach is like, what the heck are you doing, right? But if it's in the middle of the summer and we have a couple months to, to add new things, right, I'm going to give guys more freedom and say, hey, you're going to miss a lot of these right now, and that's okay. Don't be afraid of it. You know, let's work on that weekend let's work on extending on our finish where I know you guys can make a simple layup, but what happens when, you know, there's a a six, seven post in front of you with his arms out and you have to extend that ball out, you know, outside of your shoulder. Can you extend the ball away from your body and finish out there? Right. You're going to miss some of these to start, but let's try to add, you know, new things to our game where that's kind of getting that small group setting is, uh, is really beneficial to, you know, expand guys horizons to, to not only do what they do with their team right now, but to be able to kind of get outside of the box that they might have themselves in now and just see what they can really become as a player.
0: I like what you said about, uh, adding something during, adding something during the off season, but also I think that I fell victim to this as well. We try to keep our practices during the, you know, if it's November or if it's February, we're going no more than 90 minutes on the court. Maybe we get to a hundred minutes early in the year. Um, mm-hmm first couple of weeks, uh, but really want to keep it 90 minutes. We're snapping around, snapping around. And, and, and we get into a little bit too much too, where we could probably work on some more one on one stuff. But I like what you said, because that's kind of the, the way the coaching world has changed. And you hear a lot of coaches talk about not doing, there'll be a lot of coaches out there who probably listen to this, who will be, oh, you know, why do stuff one-on-all? Why do stuff versus air? But I like how you added in that, where you'll talk through the situation with guys. So it's not like, yeah. hey, go do a Euro step, go do a pro hop go do an inside finish, you know, go right, do a float. Right. You're actually talking the situation where you mentioned what you're noticing from your lens and the bleachers of watching a lot of high school kids is that they're struggling to make reads. But by you, yep. yeah, you're doing it one on oh. but you're talking through when the situation would work so that they can process it and they know, okay, Jared's not just having me do this inside finish um, to kill time and make money. He's actually talking through a situation with me.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think that's, and that's what, you know, we try to do to, you know, somewhat separate ourselves from the other trainers out there. I mean, there's a ton of guys. Some are great, some are, you know, just collecting money, like you said. And it's uh, you know, we try to really teach the game and and under make players understand the why behind everything. So a lot of guys you see just like, okay, go dribble around this cone, go behind your back, go between your legs, and then go do a reverse layup. And you're like, what? Like what why? What am I doing? Like, and then there's, you know, coaches that I understand that kind of hate these trainers, right? They're like, oh, I have all these guys doing all these fancy dribbling drills against cones. What good is that? Cones don't have hands. Cones don't play defense. I understand that, right? And there's a there's a time and place for everything, okay? So it's, it's, it's breaking down the skills and, and details behind it, one on o, right? Or maybe having a cone or maybe – and then eventually having me play, you know, a little dummy defense where when you guys go make this move here, right, keep that ball – uh hidden at your back hip where I'm gonna be reaching at you guys. Okay, now nope, you're exposed the ball. I'm snapping out of your hands here. Okay, so then you're then you're focusing on those little details of all right ball placement matters, foot placement matters, all these things. Then and, and then yeah trying to trying to make them use their imagination to okay that defender is aggressive now can I retreat dribble and spin out of this? Can I use that aggressiveness against them? Right? Can I step into them bumping with my my inside shoulder my off arm right not extending getting offensive fouls but finding the balance of can I be physical to open up that space right and kind of using your imagination and then and then trying to put them into to situations where they play out of it and, and, and apply it to the game but there's always a balance of of yeah doing doing stuff one on oh because um, you have guys that are superstars in workouts right you put them you put them one on O and you're like ah oh, this guy's super skilled super smooth he shoots it he's quick handles it and then you put him in a game and he just you know he doesn't have that competitiveness to him that that you know toughness and drive to really get the job done and then you have guys that they're not skilled at all but they're they're tough maybe it's a you know it's a football player that he doesn't work on his skills and then he steps in. He's a good player just because he's, you know, he's, he's gifted. He's aggressive, right? And he plays his role well. So production matters, right? So that's something that I think can get lost in this skill training is sometimes people think like, oh, I work with this trainer. I'm going to be good. I like to think I'm going to make you better for sure, right? But it's, it's not a guaranteed result for me. You have to be tough enough to go apply it and get the job done. And if a football player that, that didn't touch a basketball fall comes in, but he's tough. He's getting those rebounds. He's getting those loose balls. He's playing hard defense because he's, you know, a, a physical athlete that competes, right? Coach is going to go with him because that's, what, that's what's getting results. So I know that that almost um, takes away from me, right? Being like, okay, this, so this trainer is saying, I don't have to be a trainer. I don't have to work with a trainer to have success, right? But then you think, okay, now what if that football player, that doesn't have much skill. What if he did work with a trainer, right? So now he's not only a rebounder and a defender, but now he has a little bit of skill off the bounce, right? A little bit more touch on his shots, finishing around the rim, all that stuff. So there's always something you can add, but there's always uh, kind of two sides of it where you have to you have to have those skills but you have to be able to, right, have enough toughness to apply it and just straight up compete to get the job done.
0: So I wanted to have you on for a couple of reasons. One, obviously you're a Princeton grad, so I wanted to uh, uh, get you hooked up with this and uh, hear what you're doing. But most importantly for high school coaches, I wanted to bring Jared on because Jared, is, and I have a few more questions for him, but Jared is really good at what he does. you mentioned Cody Miller, who was one of our guys uh, as a junior, scored about 40 points, 50 rebounds or so, uh, probably could have played more. I mean, he was a high school caliber kid. We were just really good. And we were ranked in the top four in the state all season. And he unfortunately fell victim to having a good senior class. And and one of my probably my biggest you know things I look back on and would have moved the needle last year I don't know but I definitely probably he could have definitely gotten more run for us as I look back and reflect on mm-hmm. last season but he worked out with you I think two time, one or two times a week from pretty much March until our season started last November and can mm-hmm. average eighteen and eight for us this year shot thirty five percent from three fifty um, percent from fifty percent from the field seventy percent from the free throw line like you said six seven kid who can handle it and he just took off and obviously. Most importantly, it's the work that he put in and his willingness to be coached and wanting to get better. But it's also a lot of what you worked with him, and so i I know I've texted you and emailed you on the side telling you how much you've helped Cody's game develop. Uh, and another thing with what Jared will do for those co- for coaches that are, that are sticking with us here is Jared is invested in the, in the kids, right? He's not just a trainer who's going to go cash your check. Uh, he'll come to I watched him come to multiple fall leagues and watch our guys play. I watched him we're snapchat friends so i see him at st michael i see him at monticello i see him at all these gyms of schools that he works with kids he's invested in your players too he's not just trying to cash a check in the off season and so i highly recommend jared uh he's really good at what he does but he's also going to um form that connection that relationship with your guys uh that he wants them to be successful so i just want to pump you up because like I said, i'm not just bringing sure, you on guys. here you guys yeah. are you're, you're not writing me a 200 dollars check to come on here and pump catalyst training I wanted, obviously you're a Princeton guy, I want to hear what you're doing, but also high school coaches, um, what Reed and Jared are doing are awesome, and I want to get into a little bit of your, um, So, let me, can, can um, I tell, can I yeah, tell one quick story on that? So For sure, absolutely. Talking
1: about, talking about me being invested in, in your guys here, right, or my guys here, um, at your, your Monticello game this year, when you're at Monticello and it was, I don't remember, did it go to overtime or was it regulation? No, it we,
0: Tate made two free throws with so four seconds left down one. That's yep. what it
1: was, I couldn't remember if it was regulation or overtime, right, but Tate, was admittedly not a great free throw shooter so we she talked sub about 50 percent yeah, so as a as a as a point guard right You're like you don't you don't want that so we would joke about it we'd always finish our workouts and we would do a little free throw competition where it's it's basically you just you make two you have to match the guy in front of you we'd have you know your group of, of four or five guys with cody miller and, and cody alex and some of your guys that were super regular with me um and we would do a little free throw competition if, if tate won they're always laughing about it, like, oh, Tate's terrible, how do we lose to him and' you know, and then there was times when he was he was texting me on the side, like, man, I don't know what to do so i I went through that two year, or yeah two years ago now, when I was in Japan um I went there and I was just in a really bad place mentally. it just wasn't a comfortable living situation. I just had uh my daughter was just born um so wait almost three years ago now I guess um So my daughter was just born right before I had to leave and go over there by myself, all this stuff, just in a bad place mentally. Started applying under the court where I was really struggling. I couldn't shoot a free throw to save my life. I couldn't do anything to save my life. I just played terrible when I was there. But I was shooting like 40% from the free throw line, like unbelievably bad. And so I'm talking to Tate. I'm like, dude, I've been there. I know exactly how you feel. Like you feel like the whole world is staring at you when you go to the line. And I tried to give him a couple of tricks, like think about something else. Right. Think about start talking to your teammates, because when we're there, we're relaxed in the gym, shooting like that after our workouts. He's smiling. He's joking. He's making those shots. So I'm like, you know, you can do it. Everyone knows you can do it. When you get in that situation, you start overthinking, you put pressure on yourself. Right. So I was giving him some little stuff, trying to help him out just mentally to, to be relaxed and just do your thing. So then, yeah, like you said, he makes two free throws with like four seconds left to to win the game. I think were you guys down one?
0: We're down one, yeah.
1: Yeah. So we made the first one and I'm sitting here and I'm I'm nervous for him. I'm like, come on, take one. Makes the first one. Yes, makes the second one. I'm like, let's go. You guys win the game. After the game, I'm standing there. He comes across the court and comes up and gives me like a big hug. And I swear I'm ready to I'm ready to like tear up here because I'm invested awesome. in these guys. Like you said, like yeah. I'm I was with him through these struggles. And then for him to, you know, celebrate with his team and then see me and come running over to me like Jerry, you know, give me a big hug, like he's fired up, I'm fired up, you know, so just for, it's such a rewarding experience for me to, to have my guys have success. You know, it feels so good to, you know, to see them succeed and, and accomplish the things we talk about. They're the goals we have, you know? So yeah, it's, it's absolutely, I'm invested I'm you know, I'm in it with these kids. So that's, that's what's fun.
0: Something just came to me that I want to ask. Cause I, I feel like this is something that I can be better at. I know we shoot a lot of threes, but I don't think I'm great at teaching shooting. So how do you teach shooting?
1: Um, that's, that's actually a really good question too, as a, as a skill trainer. So if, if you want to talk about, um, like fixing a guy's technique, that's a really, really hard thing to do, especially like if they're younger, it's maybe a little bit easier, but you talk about if you're going to, if you're going to retool someone's shot, you need to be super consistent with them. So most of my guys that I work with, we go, once or twice a week that's that's primarily what guys are doing with me right and i don't think you should be coming with me more than that because there's things i'm going to give you that you need to go work on your own without me right so if you see me once a week and i try to to retool your shot like it's those other six days a week it needs to be on you right so you have to be super disciplined to change things so i don't i don't necessarily look to to make drastic changes the guy's shots if there's something something obvious where their guide hand is you know, pushing off the ball or doing something goofy, right? I'll say, okay, let's focus on one or two like small details. But otherwise it's, you try to, you try to make their mechanics as smooth as possible. Everyone's going to be different. So don't try to make it cookie cutter and say, you know, your elbow has to be right here and your your wrist has to be right here. Cause it's, like I said, everyone's going to be a little bit different, but you try to, I try to just get guys to shoot it with confidence and be smooth and quick. So for most guys, it's, you know, if they're hitching or they're, you know, somewhat reluctant on the shot, you have to trust it. You have to get it out quick. Um, and then, you know, kind of simple things about being being on balance. You know, if they're stri- if they're if they're drifting left or right, obviously you're gonna be, you know, a little lower percentage. Um, so it's it's a really it's a really tricky thing to, yeah, to teach someone how to shoot, especially as they get older. Cause like I said, everyone's gonna be different. Um so it's, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting.
0: Uh, you have the film room. I know you talked about an app. You have like the film room tab on your website. So what kind of, what yeah. other resources are available for coaches uh, through Catalyst that they can look at online?
1: So we have a lot of stuff on there. We have like skill breakdowns, right? So it's different. Um, yeah, different footwork, ball handling techniques. We have different team drills. <laughs> Right, we're talking about getting you know maybe some three-on-zero, four-on-zero stuff where it's it's driving, kick, getting guys to follow different patterns, where they have to react to different people, um, driving and moving, trying to trying to simulate those game actions as much as possible without always playing you know five-on-five or three-on-three. Sometimes I think it's beneficial to take the defense away entirely, just so things can be you know uh, somewhat scripted, but also having them you know have to react and and pass and catch and things like that. Um, we have different you know uh blogs on there where i I've, I've written a bunch of stuff about different ideas about you know team chemistry or how to handle you know your strength training during the season how to handle your body how to handle um breaking your season into segments where um you have goals to okay before christmas break we want to be doing you know x y and z right and after in this period we want to be established doing this okay so you kind of segment the season that way um a lot of just different, different options there of of my experiences, things that I've shared. Um, We have, what else do we have on there? Yeah. Different uh, set play options. Reed does a ton of stuff on that where he's, he's breaking down like NBA sets or college sets. You know, what are they running? What are their options on this? What, what decisions are they forcing the defense to make? Um, So there's just a ton of stuff out there that, you know reed reed does a majority of that he's awesome with all this this video breakdown and stuff like that but it's really just great resources to take advantage of to give you guys fresh ideas i mean coaches always i think are are picking and choosing from other people so we try to just pick and choose from everyone for you different give you different options and kind of put it in one place to be kind of a one-stop shop for all different you know coaches resources there
0: Giving you a lot of credit for our success we had this past year, but we hit a little rut in January. We weren't playing really good basketball. We had just went up to Hibbing and lost, went to North Branch and played a sloppy game, and I think won by only seven or eight. And we just were at, like, a point of our season where it's like, which way are we going to go? Are we going to limp to 18 and seven, 18 and eight? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to try to get to 20, 21, 22 wins in the regular season, which we did. And I think it was on a Sunday. I was a scrolling Twitter, and you posted your blog about your Wisconsin drill that you guys used to do or your drill used to do in practice where you do, like, Look for one point per possession. You'd run like 20 possessions, offense or defense, yep. and then you'd, you'd run accordingly. So we installed that like that Monday, and, our, we, and we ran the piss out of our kids. And we don't usually run kids, but we did it mm-hmm. where they had to play six possessions, and we did top group versus our, our second group. So maybe made our top five versus our second five, our top six with a sub-second six. Mm-hmm. And our top group had to get five possessions, get six points. And yeah. that, and then the bottom group had in five possessions, get five points when they were on offense. And if not, they had to run yeah. half court back depending on how many times short they were. So if top group needed six, they only got three points. They had to go half back three times. Right. Yeah. And so I mean it was a really, really good drill. So I'm just again, I'll spare the details of how it worked for our program. I wanna make this about you, but just a ton of really good resources for coaches out there on your website. The blog stuff is great. Um, I know I've looked at read set breakdown stuff, that's really good as well. So uh, really good stuff. And that, when, what's the website on that?
1: It's basketballcatalyst.com.
0: Basketballcatalyst.com. And if coaches want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way to get in contact with Jared Berger
1: So you can find all my, all my info on there. Um, or yes, I mean, email, you'll find it on the website, but it's Jared at basketballcatalyst.com is my email address. So that's, or, I mean, you can hit me up on, on Twitter, Instagram. Um, it's just at J 40 on both, both platform there. So, yeah, so feel free to reach out, questions. Um, if you've got kids that you'd like to send my way, like I said, I'm doing kind of this online training stuff now where it's, you know, it's unprecedented times. Everyone's, everyone's stuck at home, but I think, you know, sitting around and doing nothing isn't going to be good for, for, the, you know, for the parents, for the coaches, for the kids. You know, everyone needs to stay active here because it's a, it's a tough time with everyone being stuck at home. So we're trying to just make the best of it, um, give guys some structure and accountability. By kind of scheduling these these online workouts give them something they can do at home to yeah just make the best of a, of a bad situation and and try to stay ready whenever we can get back on the court and hit the ground running all
0: right thanks, jared much appreciated coaches hopefully you learned something from this and i mean this I, i've pumped my recommendations up get out reach out to jared reach out, reach out to reed uh these guys are great they're invested in your kids and then Even if you don't want to hire them out for your program, there's just a ton of good websites and membership stuff on their their website as well that can benefit you as high school coaches. Uh, Thanks, Jared.
1: Perfect. Thanks for having me.